the goal of nationwide secure and interoperable health information exchange has been a big focus of federal regulators and Congress, especially lately. But what are the challenges, and where is progress being made the most? I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor of Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with David Whitlinger, Executive Director of the New York eHealth Collaborative, or NICE. NICE oversees the New York State Health Information Exchange, which is known as the Statewide Health Information Network of New York, or SHINee. Dave will be speaking to us about the progress that's being made in secure nationwide health information exchange and the privacy and security hurdles that remain. Hi, Dave. Hi, how are you? Good. Thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. So now, Dave, when it comes to secure health information exchange and also electronic health record interoperability on a national level, where do you see the areas of greatest progress so far, and where do the biggest hurdles still remain? Well, I think a lot has happened in the last two years on one of the more principal elements of of this whole enterprise, and that is payment reform. Prior to the payment system seeking to really encourage, if not force, physicians and physician practices and um, hospitals and primary and specialty care to collaborate together for better outcomes, and the cost and payment system essentially um, seeking to align to that, there really wasn't a great business driver for information exchange, and therefore there wasn't a great business driver for interoperability. So one of the bigger steps forward is that CMS has essentially done a throwdown. They're saying we're, we're getting out of the fee-for-service business. We're getting into the managed care business, and we're, we're seeking to encourage all the commercial plans and payment systems to come with us. Let's start paying for quality, and let's start paying for better outcomes as, a pay as, as opposed to more volume. And that is, I'd say, one of the biggest drivers for the positive movement of information exchange and interoperability the national level, and in some cases, it's moving further faster in, in different regions and different states. The other, um, I'd say, is that because of that and because of pressure and might, some might say disappointment from the provider community, the patient community, and that translates into the political community, there have been some steps forward with creation of national networks. So these are networks of EHR vendors that have gotten together or single EHR vendors that are expanding a, a national network or, in some cases, nonprofits that have gotten together to form an attempt to put together national networks where providers are coming together to share data. And they're trying to tackle the challenges of the privacy and security and the consent, and they're brute forcing, if you will, if no other way to put it, the technical challenges of interoperability. On the hurdles, I would say that we still have have quite a few, of course. The payment system hasn't gone through that full transition. It takes many years, if not a decade, for that to yield fruits across the whole healthcare delivery system. But that makes good progress, I think, every year. Clearly, the business challenges then translate down into what silos or what islands of data will now be the new competitive landscape, and that's that's starting to be something that's forming. There's a multiple cellular networks in the country, AT&T, Verizon, Sprint, and so forth, who compete with each other but are interoperable. Will that be the landscape of the future in healthcare IT, where there are large networks that align a group or a large groups of providers and have 
deep exchange within them, and then they are at some level challenged to be interoperable with each other in order to allow for broader exchange and greater coherency across the, across the country. I think that's what some look towards as, as being a, a potential future model. That then requires, one, the technical challenges to, to get there to be solved, as well as the policy challenges. Uh, there are still numerous different interpretations or usages of patient rights, privacy and security law, HIPAA, as well as state statutes and regulations that are not consistent and don't allow for that kind of a network to exist yet. So those are all the challenges that are before us. So, David, with that said, how is progress with Shiny going? What sorts of health information exchange is taking place these days at your organization? And what are the typical use cases that you see for clinicians securely exchanging data via Shiny? In light of what I just described, we do have the benefit in the state of New York of having consistency and alignment between the large state payer, Medicaid, that's about 6 million of the 18, 19 million people in the state that is now aligned towards a managed care payment system, not a fee-for-service payment. And so we've got alignment there. We've got alignment at the state and regulatory level on the privacy and security laws. So we have that now coming together in a state regulation that will be issued later this year. And we now have great alignment uh, because of the the payment system alignment on the providers really seeking to interoperate with each other and share records with each other. So we're looking towards July uh, where we start to connect the different regions of the state, the different RIOs, the eight different RIOs across the state, into a true statewide network whereby the records across the whole state will be shared and that will be Uh, The connectivity will be completed uh, by the end of the year, and that will allow uh, all of the providers in the state that are using the network and connected to the network to share all all of the records. Just a few words on that. We have at this point, just today, more than 50,000 healthcare providers participating in the network at the regional level, and then, as I said, they'll be connected at the statewide level in, in a few months. Over 7 million New Yorkers have uh, consented to have their records shared with their providers. And we have literally thousands and thousands of records being shared daily. And that's right now at the regional level again, but that's lab reports, CT scans, MRIs, allergies, medications, pre-existing conditions, all of these kinds of things whereby they're already providing elements of greater efficiency in the system and, uh, and higher quality care. As this statewide infrastructure uh, kicks in place uh, later this year uh, and the Medicaid reform movement continues forward, we're we're seeing the literally hockey stick growth of usage of the network happening in the October-November time frame. And uh, we we think that this is really going to be fantastic when we hit 2016. So now, David, one thing that's been mentioned recently by ONC and in a report to Congress that ONC sees information blocking as an issue, healthcare organizations, for instance, using HIPAA as an excuse for why they won't share information with other healthcare providers. Do you see much of that sort of thing in New York State at this point? We've heard of those kinds of things where perhaps a large institution that has a brand name recognition has obviously a different set of financial 
uh, wherewithal than perhaps some of the smaller providers in the state that that they they have worries that regardless of all of the laws and regulations that occur, HIPAA and state uh, laws and regulations, that at the end of the day, anybody can sue anybody in the in the case of a breach, and that the deepest pocket is a, is usually a target. So we have heard that uh, kind of those kinds of statements. We do a lot with regards to education on the quality of the security of the network itself, the liability and the placement of liability for uh, the individual providers. It's their responsibility to protect the data, just as they do today. Just it's, it, it doesn't change their responsibility simply because there's more data available. And in most part, that, that has not become a barrier for us to move forward. So now, David, what's the status of Shiny's patient portal? Are patients able to securely access or share their data via Shiny? What sorts of data do patients generally have access to? And also, when it comes to patient consent, is it opt-in or opt-out? So in New York, it's opt-in, and the consent is opt-in. So patients uh, sign a consent form that allows providers to have access to their data. And as I said, we're we're over 30%, uh, 35% of the state now has signed a consent form, and those numbers just keep on ticking up uh, every month. More providers are encouraging their patients to share their records freely within the provider community. Uh, the patient portal itself, um, we have uh, different patient portals now popping up on each of the regional health information organizations. There are a couple of available right now in, in, in different parts of the state. And by the end of this year, portal services will be available across the entire state. That will allow for patients to see also all of their records because they'll be connected to the statewide network. Now, last year, the state of New York's legislature voted to fund Shiny as a public utility. How has that funding helped Shiny, especially in your efforts to advance secure health information exchange? So we've looked at this as a startup period, and that this money and this vote of confidence, if you will, of the Shiny as a public utility has really allowed us to get over the uh, hurdle of getting the plumbing in place, getting the infrastructure in place, and literally getting the, a large number of healthcare providers onto the network such that it has critical mass. Back in, in the day, one would say there was no real use for a single fax machine. Uh, you had to have a, a landscape of all of your business associates also having fax machines before there was value. The same is true as in this case. You need a critical mass of data in the network, of providers using the network, whereby the rest of the uh, provider community um, sees the value and comes and joins. So during this past year, we've had more than 10,000 new healthcare providers join the network. As I said, bringing that up to about 50,000, so it was a significant increase in the last year. More and more uh, New Yorkers signing the consent forms such that their data is being shared. So we're just seeing literally meteoric growth in the usage of the network and, and the adoption of the network. And that really allows us to um, get past this, this startup point and into establishing it as a true New York public utility. So now, David, as you know, many health information exchanges do struggle with business sustainability. Do you think that health information exchange organizations that are struggling with business sustainability are at risk from a data security or privacy perspective, and why? Well, 
I think there are several reasons, perhaps, why information exchanges have struggled with business sustainability over the past number of years. And one, I think, principal one was the business driver wasn't there without payment reform really getting to a large scale and, and, and um, further adoption. Then uh, I think that that also has challenges if the regulatory and the uh, payment system is not seeking to encourage a single health information exchange within a region that can therefore have the the financial wherewithal to have a business. And where it ties to that risk from data security or privacy, I think that it's it's possible in those cases, and this certainly is not something that we have experienced in New York, but in other parts of the country where if they're struggling financially, they could be uh, making some decisions with regards to how, how to spend their resources and doing penetration testing and security audits and chasing down every potential possible breach and literally spending uh, several hundreds of man hours a month on the upkeep of the data security and privacy that that could fall by the wayside and that that could create challenges. Now, David, in the wake of the mega hacker attacks on Anthem and Primera Blue Cross, some privacy and security experts are predicting that health information exchange organizations might be the next big target for hackers because these organizations handle so much data. To date, has Shiny been a target for hackers and any steps that you're taking to safeguard patient data from hacker attacks or even malicious insiders? So we have quite a bit of energy that goes into that exact exact problem. The Shiny itself is very secure. It's built on all of the modern and uh, most up-to-date IT practices with regards to uh, security and uh, prevention of, of hackers. We have not at this point been a target of a specific hacker attack. That's not to say you know, our firewalls and our network um, security on an hourly basis gets all of the same kind of random penetration pokes that come from uh, all over the world that happen to every IP address on on the Internet, and we have firewalls and protection against all of that. We have not had any kind of uh, malicious attack from either outside or inside, and as I said, we we have quite a bit of uh, knowledge and depth on, on security around that. There is also, as you know, a lot of law and uh, regulation in place that uh, this is not immature with regards to what to do if something occurs and uh, where does responsibility lie and uh, what to do in the, those events. So we're prepared for that. Uh, we have not experienced it as of yet, thankfully. So, David, to sum up, what's next for Shiny? What's next for NICE, especially when it comes to any new initiatives that you might have planned this year when it comes to privacy and security-related efforts? Well, in the coming year, we are continuing usage of the funding uh, and into next year, growing the network, growing the volume of data, growing the number of users of the network, incorporating it into the managed care delivery system. And uh, we will continue on the privacy and security side to maintain our expenditure, maintain our energy level, and maintain the vigilance that we have on uh, the upkeep of the network and, and the protection of the data. The coming year as well, as we have more and more patients accessing their data, we will be putting in place different ways of patients' identity uh, management and our ability to know that a patient is who they say they are before we provide them access. And that, that provides some interesting challenges as well as some interesting opportunities. 
Are there any particular technologies you're looking at in terms of uh, like authentication of patients, multi-factor? What are you considering? There's definitely multi-factor. The interesting place where we've started to look at this a little bit more carefully, if you think about, say, the financial sector where the banks might use a credit bureau in order to come up with four or five pieces of obscure information about you in order for you to have to prove that you know those four or five pieces of obscure information in order to get identity proofed for doing online banking. And that, um, I don't know, maybe an obscure address that you lived at at one point or um, make a model of a car or, or something along those lines. We've recently thought about, well, what is actually more personal than your health data itself? And is there something that we might do that is even more substantial than some of those financial challenges and questions that is along the lines of your health information and using some of that for identity proofing with the patient's permission, of course. So, I don't know, maybe what date did you have your appendectomy or what was the uh, cholesterol on your last lab test or something along those lines. That is something that we're at least intellectually exploring as a potential. Thanks, Dave. I've been speaking to David Whitlinger. I'm Marianne Kolbesek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.